What's up? This is Elia Einhorn. Welcome back to the Talk House Podcast. We have an awesome show for you today, recorded live at Rough Trade East in London. It's a conversation between two of my absolute favorite bands, Proto Martyr and the Raincoats. The Raincoats are here on the Talk House at last. Now, there's only one person that could be our special guest for today's intro. Jen Pelly is not only a contributing editor at Pitchfork who just reviewed Proto Martyr's fantastic new EP, but is also the author of the 33 and a third series book on the raincoats. Jen Pelly, welcome to the Talk House podcast. Thanks for having me, Elia. Now, you have a fantastic way of describing the book you just wrote in one sentence. Can, can you drop that on me? Yes. <laughs> I wrote a book about the British feminist punk band, The Raincoats, the early history of the band. And it's part of the 33 and a third series, which if you're unfamiliar, though I imagine most listeners of the Talk House podcast are familiar with the 33 and a third series. Sophisticated as they are. It's a series. Um, each book is dedicated to a single album. And I chose the first Raincoats record because I felt like that one captures like the genesis of the band. And I'm always interested in the genesis point of bands, but we're here talking a little bit more about the second Raincoats album in the context of Proto Martyr. Right. It turns out that on this new EP, Proto Martyr have drawn extensively from the Raincoats sophomore effort. Yeah. It's interesting. Like Proto Martyr, when they released their last album, um, which came out in 2017, it's called Relatives in Descent. Shouts. I remember reading the press release for that album and seeing they had specifically called out the influence of Otter Shape, which is the second Raincoats album. It came out in 1981. You know, throughout history, there have been a lot of bands that have referenced the Raincoats, notably Kurt Cobain of Nirvana and Bikini Kill. Um, pretty endless, the amount of bands the raincoats have inspired so proto Motor definitely entering uh, a rich lineage and being um vocal about their love of the raincoats but it is unusual that they are specifically talking about the influence of Otis shape that had a little bit more of an experimental sound wouldn't you say Totally. Yeah. So Otter Shape just has this really like unusual rhythmic sensibility. It has this really like diffuse atmosphere. My book about the self-titled record, I talk about how there's this non-linearity to the music and this kind of almost like feminization of rock in how there's no hierarchy of instruments. And so I, I get into that. Well, and there's a funny way that that manifests in this talk, Jen, in that Proto Martyr listened to Out of Shape, but also read your book and your analysis of that, as you called it, a feminization. Yeah. I feel like a band that uh, Proto Martyr are often compared to are Gang of Four. Um, and the Gang of Four comparison, I think, is like pretty spot on. There's this like anxiousness in their music. It's really tightly wound and there's almost this like rigidity to it. It's very like precise. So 
the raincoats were friends with the gang of four and they would play shows together. And they told me they would have conversations at the time where actually Andy Gill from the gang of four told me when I interviewed him for the book. He's that the they guitarist would, listeners. Yes, the guitarist of uh, gang of four that they would have conversations about how the raincoats and the gang of four had similar goals um, with their music, but they expressed them in very different ways and how the raincoats music was kind of backing away from this idea of being super tightly wound and being looser and more atmospheric. Whereas Gang of Four, it was all about like being very precise and like hitting a beat. (laughs) And so Andy Gill told me that at the time they would talk about how what the raincoats were doing was like more feminine expression and what the Gang of Four was doing was a more male expression. And so I couldn't help but think of that um, since Proto-Martyrs music so strongly reminds me of the Gang of Four. The funny thing is that of course, Proto Martyr were listening to Out of Shape, but they also synthesized that idea of the feminization or egalitarian, as we hear it called in this talk, approach through reading your book about the first record, the first Raincoats record, which actually gets mentioned by Proto Martyr, I think, three or four times throughout this conversation. That's really cool to hear. Yeah. So we're doing this conversation at my apartment, and it's right near the subway. Uh, are the we J- off the JMZ. The JMZ here in just Brooklyn. flies by the window and. Uh, the Raincoats music, especially their debut album, like there's a lot of um, references to trains on it, mm. staring at the train tracks. And they wrote music and came up with ideas while they were on the subway. And in a way, that is one of the ways in which I feel like the Raincoats music really evokes this feeling of being in a city. And Proto Martyr do that too. You know, their music, even though I feel like in interviews, they kind of like deny it or something (laughs) like they're such a Detroit sounding band oh they are well we had Joe Casey the lead singer of Mm Proto-Martyr on the podcast with Andrew Savage from Parquet Courts Ah, and and Joe did get into this as as our loyal listeners know about how Proto-Martyr were very influenced by coming up in Detroit it's it's sort of inextricable from who they are yeah I went to Detroit for the first time this year it's such a cool city shouts out to all my friends in Detroit (laughs) Jen, as I mentioned, this conversation was recorded at the sort of legendary Rough Trade East in London. You were actually just there recently, right? Yeah. When my book came out, I was super fortunate to do a few events with the band in promotion of the book. The first one was at the Rough Trade East store. That was really special because it was the first time that the 1979 iteration of the band had all been together since they recorded the album. And so that lineup of the band was Anna De Silva, the singer and guitarist, Gina Birch, the bass player and singer, um, the violin player, Vicky Aspinall, and drummer, Palm Olive, who was also the founder of The Slits. And for that conversation, Shirley O'Loughlin also was present, who is the collaborator and manager of The Raincoats since uh, the very beginning of the band. For this conversation, Anna De Silva and Gina Birch returned to the stage there. Jen, is it safe to say that they've been sort of the core of The Raincoats over the decades? Yeah, Anna and Gina started the band together when they were at art school, Hornsey College of Art. um, And they've been like the two consistent members since the very beginning. 
Now, unlike typical TalkHouse podcasts where we have two to three people in conversation, we actually have joining Gina and Anna, all of Proto Martyr, <laughs> all of the guys were so excited to talk to them that they said, can we just bring the whole band? I said, of course, of course. So listeners, you'll hear Joe Casey, who's the singer, Greg Ahey, guitarist, Scott Davidson, who's the bassist, and Alex Leonard, who takes care of the drums. This is a six-way conversation. And they take in a lot. We hear a lot about both bands' cool collaborations. Uh, starting with Proto Martyr, they have Kelly Deal of The Breeders co-writing and performing on two of the tracks on their new Constellation EP. So deal me. Whereas the Raincoats get into working more recently with Angel Olsen. And also, as you mentioned earlier, Jen, how Kurt Cobain's fandom sort of forever changed their career. We also get to hear a lot about the legendary rough trade scene in London in the 70s and 80s, about interband fights, the emotional perils of sound checking, and the pros and cons of growing up Catholic, as both bands did. Jen, should we roll the tape? Roll it. Hello. Hello, Hello everyone. Hi. I'm Gina from the Raincoats. What's your name? <laughs> Hi, Gina. I'm Alex from Proto Martyr. I'm Joe from Proto Martyr. Uh, Greg from Proto Martyr. Anna from Pro. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> she thinks she's joined the band. <laughs> I'm Anna from the Raincoats. And I'm Scott from Proto Martyr. So I'm just going to speak. And ask uh, a question, because uh, you played in Birmingham last night, didn't you? And uh, I was in Liverpool, and I really liked the accents in Liverpool. And I wondered what you thought of Birmingham and the audience, and if you noticed any strange accents. The audience was great. I, I, I can't notice different accents. All English accents kind of sound the same to me. I can tell Cockney, but they don't have those in Birmingham. So I don't know. Uh, could you guys notice any any? Accents. I don't. Did I, I talk couldn't. to any people there? <laughs> <laughs> no, you stayed in the dressing room the whole time. <laughs> Thing is, you might have been speaking to somebody who wasn't from Birmingham, so you wouldn't know. Yeah. How do you? How can you even tell? Yeah. yeah exactly. How was the gig anyway? It was great. Um, what was the What was the venue called? <laughs> Mama Ruse. Oh, Mama Ruse. Yeah. It, yeah. It was, it was awesome. Um, all of our English shows have been surprisingly very good for for this tour, at least. Um, and then. Tonight, we're going to be playing Scala with Anna, so we're very excited about that. Um, and we get to go home after this, so we're also excited about that. Yeah. So we're having this conversation because um, we have something in common, and we're just going to work out what that is. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think it is? Well, I mean, I think this happened because we were lucky enough to meet both of you, No, was it November of last year? Um, when Anna, you came with Shirley to a rough trading store. And then Gina, you came to our show at the was it Tough Dome. Dome. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I think even on the... Um, on the little write-up on the on the record at Rough Trade, it, it mentions 
the influence that that your band had on us recording our most recent album because uh, it was probably the biggest influence for me personally. So it was a big honor when you both came to those shows and we got the chance to talk briefly. Uh, meant a lot. So I, I remember when when we met. Uh, yeah, you asked me you're like what. Like, what is it about us that's like an influence? And it's it's hard to it's hard to say like how tangible it is. But I just know that like the first time I heard Out of Shape, it was like hugely. It was it was unlike anything I'd ever heard, and that was pretty awesome because I had only heard it like five years ago for the first time. I'd heard the the debut LP uh, quite a lot growing up, but never never the second or third or fourth album. So it was. Pretty, yeah, it blew my mind, and I couldn't believe all the different textures you guys created and uh, the way the songs just weave in and out of like coherent structures that I couldn't exactly wrap my head around, but was just fascinated by the whole thing. Um, so I tried to take, I mean, if, I tried to copy it, but I can't do that because you're much better musicians and no, we're just weird <laughs> yeah maybe i'm too normal uh, we, we didn't know what to do so we kind of made it up yeah. as we went along well, and i think when you make something up without having the normal structures um you don't have the same rules so sometimes you invent your own rules and i could tell you my one little story oh, yeah. <laughs> when do. we were doing oddy shape we had a little um section in go away that was going to be a, a musical well, you know we, we do, do you know it was an instrumental section and I, i'd um seen the michael nyman uh doing some uh music to bruce mclean's performance somewhere in south london and it was kind of this weird systems thing where where the timing was really peculiar it would go like one two three one two three four five one 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 two three four five six seven and and so there was this kind of strange rhythmic thing and i thought let's have a little go at that, which kind of baffled us. We constantly were having to try and count these numbers and we probably still do now. We have to refresh our memories when it came, comes time to do it. But that was very atypical, I think. But we, we, we employed a little kind of weird little mechanical system in there and um, that was definitely taken from something else. And I wonder, was there, was there one little moment where you thought, I'm going to do this because this is bit like oddy shape or was there one little thing i feel like there there are several moments um one, one of the things is actually in uh in family treat uh the the jump from the very slow verse into the the chorus when it's a piano that kind of picks up with it is a it's yeah it's very strange sounding how it just like kicks into it but it makes perfect sense i feel like i tried to do that on a couple of our songs where let, let me try to take this element and also, the way your your bass lines feel so lyrical and create a lot of the melody in a lot of the songs. So we'd start maybe writing a song on bass, which I don't think we'd ever done before that point. Um, and I don't even know what half of the instruments are that... Yeah. Well, yeah, what happened is that we, we went to New York between the two albums and got a few other instruments besides what we had been using. And um, so we thought we'd use them in the songs. But also, I think one one thing that's 
quite important about us is that each song was very different to all the other songs. We always trying things. I suppose that makes you interested in what you're doing if you just each song is a new adventure kind of thing. Um, and um, so in Odd Shape, they're so, so different, even more so than the first album. And uh, so we used um, those those instruments, and that kind of gave a very different flavor to the album than to the, the first one. And um, also we, we were just learning a bit more about our own instruments and kind of, I suppose, developing a bit. And because, um, yeah, with the first one, me and Gina, our knowledge was very basic. <laughs> we had our passion, but um, it was quite basic. And so yeah. When you played out the Adi Shapes songs live, did you have to bring all the instruments that you used? No, or? We, we played quite a lot of those songs, but maybe not all of them. I can't remember. But um, we didn't, no, we didn't bring those instruments. We sort of adapted to the live performances yeah, yeah we had a funny experience with that because we we didn't have a drummer a regular drummer for most of it so I, it's interesting to see what you think of the way the drums kind of shift and change on that album but uh, when, when when we did actually go to play Anton Fear had come over from New York I probably shouldn't tell this story but Anton Fear had come over from New York to play drums with us and um when he started, he could play every little nuance of reverb and sound. And we looked at our instruments and we couldn't remember the songs. <laughs> he was so disgusted, he went off and joined Red Crayola the next day. <laughs> anyway, but, well, he, Gina, but the thing is, he said that he thought uh, there was no room for improvisation. And we thought that was really weird because he was so unimprovised and uh, we were just kind of... You know, getting he was a, a bit uptight. Sorry, Anton. Anyway. <laughs> Get improvising, mate. Um, tell me what you think of the drums. Or uh, they're what, fantastic. Can you, you play? But it's the same thing you're talking about. Where like it, there seems to be no rules to what's being played, but it, it all makes perfect sense. It's very exciting. I love how the drums like come in and then drop off for parts. Like it's yeah. it's an album you can listen to a thousand times and keep hearing new things. I think drums sometimes are just the backbone of things. And uh, I think we always like to have drums being like another instrument mm -hmm. that can come and go, be loud, be quiet, um, and, and give a lot of different textures. And not that we dictated the drummers what to do, but I think they felt that that was... Um, fitted with what we were doing. Yeah, it's a kind of egalitarianness about the instruments, you know, that... that uh in, the instruments each played a very important part and they would come and go in terms of focus and and carrying the song, maybe. I, I, or, I don't think we even thought of it in those terms, but that's just how it developed, I, I suppose. Yeah, I know in the in the 33 and a third book about uh, your first LP by Jen Pelly, which is fantastic read, um, they, there's a lot of talk about how democratic the band is and how there's never like a clear front person. There's never something that stands above everything else. Everything's pretty equal. And I think that goes through to Otta Shape too. And I even think the drums seem like a logical extension from the drums on the first album, which are like done with a drum kit, but they, the way they shift and change work, work similarly to how they do on Otta Shape as well. 
like even though the album sounds so different in a lot of ways, it, it seems like a logical progression. Even the fact that, you know, like you said, you hadn't mastered your instruments, at least not in the traditional sense, when it was, you know, guitar, bass, drums, and violin. But once you felt like, it seems like once you felt like you had a grip on them, then for Odyssey, all right, let's move on to different instruments. Let's try to push ourselves in different ways. Um, I remember reading a quote in the book. I think it was Eugene saying something about how you always try to go a little past your ability when writing. And, and I think we relate to that too, because uh, if, if anyone sees us play some of our new songs live, right after we wrote them, they sound like shit. So uh, it takes us always a while to get to like where, you know, we're trying to get to. Yeah, and, and then you sort of develop them a little bit also as we're, you're playing. And I think that's the exciting thing about music. It's not just a dead thing that you repeat and repeat. You just, if each performance is a, a, a thing. And when, when, when you played here, I, I felt that the music was really exciting and, um, and the words were really good and everything just, just I, I don't know, I, re I just related to it in, in a really good way. And I'm, I'm uh, very happy to play with you tonight. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're so excited. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you. Um, yeah, we, we had this thing, a uh, review saying the raincoats say they rehearse, which, uh, <laughs> which is that thing of actually always pushing ourselves a little bit beyond what we can do, and especially with new songs. I mean, when we play songs we know well, um, we still occasionally make mistakes but we try to kind of we try to keep that freshness about them anyway but I wanted to ask you Joe a bit about the words because uh, I'm kind of really interested in 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 the way that you approach the lyrics and how um, that they are kind of trying to make a difference in the world somehow uh, and and I really like them and I wondered if you might have a few words to say about them or what what motivates you how do you go about it well, we start off, I think, similar to what you guys do, where it's <laughs> nice t-shirt, uh, where each member of the group, like the, the sound should be equal. Um, and so I always never want the voice to kind of rise over what these guys are doing. Um, and so they usually come up with the music first, and I'm trying to think how the sound makes me feel what they're making and, and write from there. And... Uh, you know, so many bands, it's, you can write about anything. That's a great thing about music. But I just feel like uh, I was not very good at writing love songs. And uh, I don't really want to write about partying and pizza, although that's fine. Um, and so it's, it gives you an opportunity to write about what's really on your mind or what you're really thinking and couch it in this music to help kind of carry the message across. And um, maybe because they were so inspired by your guys' album that uh, the sound was kind of all over the place and really felt I could tell a story um, with the lyrics and kind of link them together in, in interesting ways and just try to be as weird as the music they were making as far as the, the lyrical content and talk about how uh, fucked up the world is right now. Yeah. I, w one thing I... I also liked when I saw you is the fact that you all look such different people in a way. You've got, obviously have some uh, something really strong in common, but um, the look of you it was like really really different. And and I thought that was 
really nice. <laughs> oh yes. Um, and uh, I liked your your set list as well, which was the cover of the the album. I had never seen that before, <laughs> and I thought that was quite funny. Yeah, we just played the album start to finish, but we <laughs> sense of humor. Yes. I appreciate that. We actually needed it though. I, I I was nervous, and I couldn't. I didn't know if I'd forget the order of the track listing. So yeah. I actually, yeah, it was it was useful. But it's it's interesting. Yeah, I, I, that's a thing I also kind of made note of. Reading the book is, you know, uh, the point that's made about how your band, uh, I know you were criticized pretty heavily for not looking like a band and that you, you know, you didn't do yourselves up a certain way that you're supposed to or something. Uh, and w like, it, 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 it's far different that like how we get perceived than how you'd get perceived, especially as a group of women and just the criticism that comes being a like a rock group that's comprised of women is is far different, but I definitely related to the sense of just like presenting yourself as you are rather than some falsified rock star version. Yeah. Um, and even though I didn't know that until recently, it was like, oh yeah, felt like kindred spirits in a lot of ways to what you guys represent. It's funny though, because when you see the pictures, I think we look pretty glam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's just well, I got more scruffy in my old age. Yeah, but vintage has become chic, doesn't <laughs> it? And scruffy has become chic what? too. Scruffy. Scruffy. Uh, in those days, it was just because we bought everything from charity shops and that's it, yeah. you know. Scott, so I hear we both rock on stage. <laughs> <laughs> At least one of us does. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I kind of have this thing where I'm always rocking and it's kind of, I, I, I hate it when I see myself rocking because I'm like, I didn't really realize I was doing it, but um, you don't do that then. No, I do. Uh, <laughs> Phew. And it, backwards it, and forwards. Yeah, backwards and forwards. And it's something that's not conscious. It just seems to, when I start playing, it happens. And when I see videos of myself, I hate it as well. Uh, we should start a band. We should, <laughs> the we should talk afterwards. The rockers. <laughs> the rockers. But you, you got, and you we got, hate it. We rock and we hate it. <laughs> Don't look at us. <laughs> You've got your step counter, though, in your phone now. I did recently find out there's a step counter on the iPhone, and I walk... I guess I don't know what the conversion would be, but about a mile and a half during our hour set. <laughs> yeah, so that gives you a little bit of exercise, <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm so skinny. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> Any more about stepping, Scott, that you want to add? Uh, make sure to get your steps in. Do you, um, do you have a lot of rows? Fights. And do you oh, fight? Yeah, sorry, I didn't understand. Um, no, I think we, we definitely do. Um, I, I always... I mean, it feels cliche, but I always consider being in a band like a marriage kind of where you're going like, to fight and you're going to get pissed off at each other. But uh, we've been pretty good. Because, yeah, it's weird to think, but, yeah, we've been like, we're, we're, we're a band now for like eight or nine years. And uh, I don't think we thought we'd last this long. And to be able to last this long and be able to, I mean, I can't even imagine for... For you two, you know, I mean, I, yeah, just to be able to. Oh, we fight. Yeah, no, you see, you fight. We but, fight and we break up. Yeah, yeah, sure. And ten years later, we forget that yeah. we broke up, yeah. and you know. Yeah, I read a quote where you said you broke up after every gig. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was a slight exaggeration. Well, the thing is, the no, thing not is, after every gig, after every record. Yeah, okay, every record. okay, that's not that's all right. We probably no, done. No, no, some I had a I had a friend who trained as a you know like a therapist, and she was trying to get work doing, um, you know, kind of 
band thingamabobs. Oh, yeah. And I think it's a really good idea because I think bands do need that thingamabob because, you know, you can have some stuff that you don't say and then you bursts out in really bad ways when you're doing a sound check. You know? oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's what happens to us yeah. Yeah, the most is sound check. Yeah. Yeah, turn group, that group down, therapy. that's too loud. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, you're too loud, turn that oh, down. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is what it boils over, isn't it? Like the yeah. sound check is like, when I, yeah, I don't know why that is. Um, but yeah, it's tense, yeah, nervous it is tense, headache. Yeah. I hate sound checks. Um, one thing I wanted to ask too is 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 there because we we have an age difference in our band where Joe's about nine years older than us, and I know there's an age difference between <laughs> you two. Is it, do you notice it? Is there is there is there does that affect the dynamic of the band? Do you think? Yes. Yeah. Well, it did when Ingrid was there. Yeah. When Ingr Ingrid joined, she, she was she a, was oh, yeah. a lot younger yeah. than both of us, yeah. and you weren't so happy with that. I yeah. remember. Well, I'm quite a bit older than Gina, but um, I don't find that a problem. But maybe you she do. finds me a bit immature sometimes. <laughs> well, you're younger, so that justifies it. <laughs> do you find it a problem with us, Joe? Uh, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> you don't get all the references I make to when I. Yeah. Anna's yeah. from Madeira, you see, oh. and I'm from Nottingham. So I mean, <laughs> there was quite a big difference between Funchal and Nottingham in the first place, let alone the age. Are but the accents different? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's true. Yeah. But Anna seems very sophisticated to me. You know, she 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 denies this now. But I mean, I always thought she kind of knew all about European cinema. And I I just come down from Nottingham, and I used to watch Bruce Lee movies. You know, and I <laughs> I didn't know too much about Truffaut or Rossellini or all these people. And so uh, it was kind but of. But you do uh, now. But I do know. You were younger. Had, uh, you were very young, so you didn't know then. I didn't know, but I know now. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, we get, we get along. Uh, the thing is, when you've been together for this long, mm. although we have our ups and downs and differences, um, we've got such a shared history that it's it's really special, you know, and with Shirley. And, but it's quite funny because H Helen uh, Reddington wrote a book called The Lost Women of Rock, and it had lots of the women from that kind of era of... of uh, early punk and 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 a lot of us barely spoke to each other in those days you know the modettes and the delta five and the Opel. i mean we were kind of friends we kind of all knew each other but we didn't really we weren't a kind of cohesive group but um all these years later when helen had a party to celebrate the book we were all like really kind of there was a kind of really strong bond, a sisterhood, because we had shared this amazing time and experience. And, and uh, our, our similarities were much greater than our differences. And it was really special. Do you feel like you were part of a scene when the band first started? A part of a punk scene, but not mm. a kind of female mm. scene. It was... It was more of a rough trade scene in a way. It wasn't really a scene, but we just hung out there and... So it was a kind of scene, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, there was the swell maps and scrutability and, and all the people who worked there. There was a kind of uh, camaraderie and uh, I, I discovered that you could eat fish fingers between two slices of white bread from Nikki of the swell maps, which was a revelation to me. Did you both work at Rough Trade? Um, I did. Did you? No, I worked at Rough Trade much later. Oh, okay. Not at the same time then? Yeah, I worked at the shop when it was still just a shop basically uh, okay. a bit of distribution yeah no i met my husband mike <laughs> at rough trade uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> he's here supporting me <laughs> we've been together for 
33, four years. So that's how long ago I worked at Rough Trade. <laughs> that's exciting. Are Congrats. you all from Detroit? Um, yeah, from, we... Uh, I'm just thinking, you know, because we were talking about how we, we sort of... Not really how we met, but where we're hanging out. So I was just wondering how you sort of got together, really. Yeah. <laughs> how you got together. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we all grew up, Scott, Alex and I grew up in the suburbs of Detroit. Joe grew up in Detroit proper. Uh, but we all went to the same all-boys Catholic high school in Detroit. Um, and I was good friends with Alex. We were the same year. Scott was a year below us. I kind of knew him, but didn't really become friends till later. <laughs> Yeah, we're all Catholics. Oh, oh, there hell. we go. All right. Talk is over. We're, we figured it That's out. That's it. Let's pray, brothers. Okay, bye bye. Let's go. Um, and yeah, uh, Joe, Joe and I worked as uh, doormen at a theater, uh, and yeah, I think yeah, we just became friends because we were like, oh, we go to the same high school. That's all it takes. Yeah, I, I, when we first started, I'd tell people I used to hang outside in the parking lot. <laughs> you know, but yeah. No, we, we, I worked a job uh, holding doors with Greg, and then when we found out that we went to the same high school, it was like, oh, okay, that's why I get along with you, and uh, that's how I met these guys. Because yeah, Catholic high schools are weird, especially when it's just like unisex Catholic high schools. They, uh, yeah, it's it, it, if I hated it at the time, a struggle to get through it, but then you feel like a bond with the people that also went through it. So, still friends with a lot of the people. Sorry, I'm not used to microphones. Um, <laughs> Only 40 years of <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> you never get used to them. Um, so, how, how, how did you sort of think of starting a band? You were already writing lyrics and you were already playing guitar, or? Yeah, I, I've been playing guitar for. Uh, you know, since I was, I think I started when I was like 12 and I pretty much kept at it ever since, but never really got that much better at playing after I was like 15. I think that's when my talent peaked. And then uh, Alex and I had, were kind of playing music at the time. And Joe, I think just, I think it was pretty much Joe's idea. Like, hey, I want to try to like come. And we were just playing in my parents' basements or Alex's parents' basement. He's like, I'm going to come just like yell on top of it. Yeah, and so I remember that, that you guys reminded me that I think I kind of bribed you into starting the band. Oh, yeah, you did. Because I was like, oh, you guys should have a practice space. Like, I'll pay for half the practice space if I get to yell over some of your songs. So, yeah, that's how the band kind of started was me begging. <laughs> a bit <laughs> like money. the man with the van. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we had a room in a warehouse in Detroit that we'd practice in. And then also, me and Scott and Joe were pretty. Um, Amateurish when we started, we didn't have like no musical experience. Greg kind of. I mean, I, I I had experience, but I didn't have anything else. Like, you know, it's like I clocked in to the playing guitar stuff, but I, that was it. I wasn't very good. Um, by about the second week of Alex playing drums, he was already a better musician than I was. So. And that's always the thing is people say like, well, what like what kind of band did you want to sound like when you started? It's like we wanted it to be competent. Was basically the the goal it was not sound terrible. And we barely squeaked by with that on our first uh, couple of years. Yeah, we never really had that uh, goal. Yeah. <laughs> Success. You two met in art school, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Microphone. <laughs> <Not the> microphone. <laughs> yes, she they said They didn't yes. teach us to use a microphone there, so. 
<laughs> yeah, we were at Alexandra Palace, which is in North London. It's a funny thing. It was just it was just the fine art department uh, up mm. in this uh, uh, raised ground floor of this uh, old kind of abandoned palace, which has been refurbished now. And there was a bar below, which was called the Panorama Bar, where you could see all over London. And uh, we used to all go and get drunk in there after college. And then the next morning you'd stumble in with a hangover and all you could smell was the old beer and a bit of bleach as they washed the stairs. Um, <laughs> it was a funny experience. It's, it was in that place that we decided to start a band, it I was. remember. And yeah. we played there. Well, no, well, not, in the not, bar, not in the no. bar, no. <laughs> we no. did play in the studio. Yeah. And in the studio was the only gig I ever promoted, which was the Slits played. And uh, they didn't turn up, you know. And in those days it was like... You charge 20 pence or something to get into a gig and they didn't turn up and they didn't turn up. And I remember I cut my hair off. I cut my hair quite short because I was kind of anxious. And and uh, <laughs> But eventually they turned up and they had the PA and they played and it was all great. So... Um, but as I was saying earlier, I'm, I come from a family where you have to... Everything's early. And so I've really tried in rock and roll to learn how to be patient. It's not working very well. <laughs> that was very boring. Sorry. No, no, no. no. Another thing I was just thinking about that <clears throat> I think I read in the book that uh, I also related to was the idea of uh, balancing the music with the lyrics. Like your lyrics are dissected and they can be construed as kind of dark. And especially in the first time on these like kind of like happier sounding songs. Um, so I was wondering, like, do you think that is an important part of your process to make sure that who's ever writing the lyrics uh, and who's ever working on the music, like that they work together in a way that keeps the balance, even where it doesn't tip too far in one direction between like dark or? Yeah, well, um, usually the person that did the lyrics, we, we, we work slightly different. You seem to go after the music. Uh, with us, we mostly uh, or hundred percent. We we had the I wrote lyrics, for instance, and I think Gina probably did the same thing. Like you get the lyrics, and then you play a guitar and get some kind of tune, something going, and then we got together, and and we we uh, the other the other musicians, the other people um, added something, but also we, the person that brought whatever would change according to what, how we were developing. So in a way, it, it, we developed it together, although the, the basic idea would come in um, with one of us. And I think, you know, Anna, Anna, I always think is more kind of poetic and perhaps dark than I am. <laughs> but, uh, and, and so, you know, the darker Anna got, the more I would try and do a jolly <laughs> melodic bass line. <laughs> Some not always, but, you know, I would kind of, I, I, I kind of, Anna was sometimes drawn to a, perhaps a bit more atonal uh, uh, sound and then I would kind of bring in some kind of melody from a hymn or something. <laughs> you know, I, I just like, melody and so I would find melody on the bass and 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 then you know it, but basically you know we would meld together and I think in a way that's what's made Anna and I work together well is because we are quite different temperamentally to a large extent and and that we kind of we kind of um, bring to each other the bit that 
adds something yeah. rather than takes away something. So and you think there's a balance like in your personalities too that helps? Yeah, I think, I mean, not in every song or every right. instance, but I think that's been something that has um, been a glue that's held us together. You know, I, I think if we were both incredibly similar or, you know, it's too different, it wouldn't have worked. But I think there's a kind of quite a good balance between the, the differences, you know. Yeah, I, I think that comes through pretty clearly in most of your songs too. Um, another thing I was thinking about is how common it is when people describe the raincoats to say that they don't really know anything about you. I remember uh, in that, I think it was in Kurt Cobain's like liner notes uh, for the reissue where he's like, yeah, I don't really know anything about the raincoats and I don't really want to. Um, and like Carrie Brown, seeing I was reading her, like you were saying like there's like a mythic quality to um, to everything around the band. Was that, was that intentional or were you trying to shy away from... No, it's... Um, we were here and we only went to the state a couple, uh, States a couple of, of times and only on the East Coast. And there was no so social media, so this is how you, you can be anywhere now. Uh, it's through the so social media. And then our records also weren't really released in the United States, were they? They weren't. Mm. Uh, they weren't released in the United States. So we were this kind of English band. Uh, well, we are an English band, although I'm not English. <laughs> but, <you know. laughs> um, so there was this band from there. And, and then our records also, they weren't even in print here for a long time. So I thought we were kind of forgotten that we'd be between, you know, the Ramones and Rainbow or, you know, whatever the R would be before, before us. And then we found out that um, uh, people, um, especially in the United States, we, we have a lot of uh, people that like the music that we've done, musicians and otherwise. And all this stuff was happening, people giving each other cassettes with one song that they managed to get somewhere or other, or, you know, they'd find a record in a rare place or whatever. And But this this was happening and we didn't know. And then suddenly when the whole Kurt Cobain thing happened, we realised how many people were being inspired by what we were doing. And um, and so that that's kind of changed things a lot. We weren't playing anymore or anything. We re-released we re the records on Rough Trade, licensed them to um, DGC. Um, and then, you know, obviously the stuff was available and out there. Then I, I remember that we, we, we joined MySpace and there was all these people just writing and so I, I, I couldn't have gone through... A college or school without your music and so and we were just really shocked about it but uh, you know happy at the same time that it kind of started having that kind of in impact I mean I think it is funny because um, when, when we were playing you know when, when we first started and we did those uh, early tours and we didn't play all that many shows I think on our first tour we did 28 dates and that was the biggest Longest. tour we've ever done yeah. <laughs> And um, so we didn't play that much and uh, um, we, we weren't interviewed that much. We were in the press a bit and we always got nice reviews for our albums, but we weren't kind of uh, media media babes. We were kind <laughs> of like... Yeah, but we were mostly here anyway. We did have press here like NME, Melodimic, all those and yeah. sounds and stuff. But it's just uh, probably in America you didn't even get many of those papers or in lots of places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so... 
I don't know. We, we, we may have been a little bit ahead of our time. Ha. <laughs> 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 yeah, and, and then did, how long after, after moving came out did you, did you officially break up or did you just yeah, kind of... Before yeah. moving. Okay, yeah, before moving, okay. <laughs> and then for that period then between moving and when you got back together, were, were you, did you still talk or was it like... Uh, yeah, we, um, especially uh, Gina lived... Uh, hmm? Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Gina and I live quite close, so we bump into each other or, or see each other occasionally and stuff, but, uh, uh, yeah, we weren't doing any raincoats things at that time. Did you ever think that you would get back together in that period? No, no, yeah. no, otherwise we would have done it. <laughs> you know, It was just... Uh, we, we didn't even think of getting back together when we got back together. We were just doing one gig to... It wasn't even a gig. It was we considered more like a party where we'd be uh, playing some of our songs because uh, at the time of the re-releases... So it's CD, just kind it was of, coming out on CD, wasn't it? Yes, it was coming out on CD, the <laughs> big modern thing. And uh, so we decided to do that. And it, then it felt good and Kurt Cobain heard that we were doing this one thing. And so if they're doing one, they could come on tour with us. Uh, and then the whole thing just went on from there, yeah. Uh, so was it already kind of in motion then before the Kurt Cobain thing had happened then? Well, it was, it was roughly at the same time. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Because yeah. it, yeah. it, it seems like, yeah, that he got a lot of credit for that, but maybe uh, that's a little bit unfair, it seems like. yeah. It was uh, also people think it, uh, that our records were re-released in, in the States by DGC, but they weren't. They were released on Rough Trade oh, okay. and licensed to, to there. And ah, okay. uh, ob obviously there's a lot of people that have heard of us because of Kurt Cobain. Uh, because he was m more famous than anybody else that liked us, <laughs> probably. <Yeah. laughs> um, but... Um, so people, you know, sometimes they, well, they follow. If you say you like a certain band, your fans will go and listen to that band. Maybe yeah. they'll listen to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Oh, sorry, go ahead. What are your plans next? Um, well, we have a, an EP that's coming out um, when, in June, right? Yep. Uh, Mid-June. Mid What's it called? Consolation. Oh. Yeah, it's an EP. What, what? Give us a taste of some of the lyrics. <laughs> sing, sing a little bit. Uh, no. It's <laughs> positive. But I, but I am excited about it because it, it was us working with uh, Kelly Deal from the Breeders. Oh, great. And so it's a, you know we don't really collaborate too much with other people, but we've had a uh, relationship with her in the past, and it's just such a fun environment uh, working with her, making songs. It was kind of a nice break after working on this kind of heavy album to do something with her and mm -hmm. they're uh, they're great songs uh because she's uh, involved with them they're good songs without her but they're yeah. great with her and you did a bit of a collaboration with uh, the pop group i that's right remember yeah. Yeah. how was that uh it was uh it was weird <laughs> it worked uh luckily i didn't have to do much i mostly sat on the stage and drank beers but uh these guys were amazing working uh two drummers going at once and yeah, it was it was a great thing to be a part of, and you worked with a Angel Olsen too. Yeah, we had a great time with Angel. Yeah. I, I was saying to you earlier that, you know, because with with us, you know, we'd kind of um, we'd never kind of put technical ability at the top of our um, agenda. Although, you know, we were interested in getting better, I suppose. But when Angel and Emily and 
Heather. Heather, thank you. <laughs> Not thinking me, Bob. Yes. Came, came, uh, and we played together. It was, it was great because they really knew their stuff. You know, Angel has this most incredible voice, really accomplished voice, and Emily is an amazing bass player, and Heather again is a brilliant singer. So it was amazing to be in the room with these people who really were very, very accomplished. I mean, we were reasonably accomplished because we had been doing it for so long, but they were still young and they were so great. And it was, and it was lovely because there were all of us women playing together and we had Vice Cooler on drums. But it was just lovely that the six of us in, in, in the room together working on stuff. And we, we, she played, they played uh, some of our songs and we played some of theirs but the only thing we did new was we did a a version of because the night by patty smith and uh, the angel knew that uh, we love patty smith but it wasn't necessarily our favorite patty smith song because the night's over and we weren't so keen to go because the night so we decided that we would go the other way and we would really whisper because the night and so we kind of took it like and op- op- opposed it and and sang it in quite a kind of spooky way and and did this really nice weaving um violin part and and it was just really special i think and i, I think I, I wish we could have got to record that together because i think it was quite stunning if i say so myself <laughs> you should record it. Yeah, I think so. But how, how did you, um, this collaboration, was it with words or with uh, she playing guitar? Or? Singing? Your uh, collaboration. These guys learned uh, some of their songs. They learned one of ours. No, no, no. With, oh, with, with Kelly. Kelly. Uh, oh, yeah. Kelly. Uh, well, Gr- uh, Greg, you could tell uh, everybody how you met Kelly. Well, I, I mean, it's not. Okay. Well, no, we, 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 were at, we were at South by Southwest, and I think she might have been trapped in a bathroom. And, uh, uh, That's how many yeah. things happen that way. Yeah, I mean, it's happened to me so many times. Uh, we were playing a showcase with her uh, group, R-Ring, which is uh, it's a duo, her and Mike Montgomery. Mike actually recorded uh, the EP we have coming out, Um And we've worked, you know, they, we've collaborated with both of them on a single from 2015, I think. Um, so we played with them and we really loved our ring and they seemed to like us. And we just kind of kept in touch and we knew that Mike had a studio. So once we did record some stuff, uh, Kelly's like, can I come along? We're like, yeah, obviously we're not going to tell you to stay home. Uh, and then she was like, she actually, I think she floated the idea of maybe singing on something. Uh, and that's how the first collaboration came about. And we were so psyched and somehow, um, we, I didn't know how it would work, but her voice with Joe's seems to, to mesh really well. Um, it's, yeah, it's nice to have like, Add a little like femininity to our sound too. We came in and melody and, too. Some yeah, melody. yeah, it's a melody. Yeah, some that always helps. Yeah, on key vocals. Yeah, on key vocals. Um, so, but we, for the first collaboration, we had the song written, and she kind of added some vocal melodies on top. For the uh, for the new stuff, we, we released a song called "Wheel of Fortune," I think last week, and uh, that song we had pretty much written, and didn't even know she was going to sing on it. But after we left the studio. She's like, hey, do you mind if I try? I'm like, yeah, of course. And she sent us like her, she had some vocals on top and it sounded incredible. So yeah, we were psyched. We have a, got another collaboration with her on that album uh, or on that EP that closes it out that uh, she was really involved with arranging. She brought in like bass clarinet and maybe viola. 
and a couple other instruments that she had her friends play, and she kind of orchestrated this whole thing uh, and really was heavily involved in the arrangement of that song, and it improved the song. It's a much better song because of her involvement and what she added to it, so, yeah. How are we doing for time, yeah. fellas? I, th I think it's time for some audience questions. Oh, if okay. anyone would like to ask a question. Hello. Hello. Um, this is Brighton Mart. Are you going to reissue the first album? Because I don't want to spend under fifty pound. I thought we did one interview without having. It's a. It's a good. Um, we're hoping. It's just that we're focused on putting out new stuff, and um, we own the record. It's the label that we put it out on. Urinal Cake Records doesn't own it. Uh, just finding a time to do it. Hopefully sooner, so we don't have to keep on asking. The it's just I hate the, the the copies that are floating around are so expensive. Uh, they, it's yeah, not that, worth that us. it's not worth that much money. It's it was our first first crappy record, so hopefully in the next year or so we can get it out, and then that's the plan. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, what do you think punk and post punk means in 2018? Excellent question there. Um, it, for for us, uh, sorry to say, it, it, it's 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 frustrating in some ways because when the raincoat started to me, it didn't mean anything concrete, and that's why so much of the music from that period was so interesting and unique. Um, now, when people talk about post punk, it seems like they talk about okay, this just sounds like Joy Division or exactly like Gang of Four or some very specific touchdown that. So it becomes post-punk revival. And we certainly never set out to be a revivalist band. And uh, it bums me out every time somebody describes us as that. Um, but for a lot of people, that is what it means. But I see a lot of the bands that get called post-punk that are doing interesting things like preoccupations. And I would even call the band we're on tour with right now Rattle uh, post-punk, but it doesn't sound anything like what people are currently calling it. It's, it's two women just playing drums and singing and it's absolutely incredible. So uh, that that's what post-punk would be to me, but uh, I don't know. Do you, what, do, what do you see post-punk as or punk even now? Well, people thought we were post-punk because it's just uh, the, the first surge of, uh, of punk was um, um, things were very, uh, the songs were very fast, very loud and quite minimal. And uh, and then the bands that came a bit after that, like a year or two later, uh, were trying uh, other things and uh, kind of using more experimental uh, ideas uh, and developing into something else. And that's when people started calling. First, it was they were calling it new wave, and now it's post punk. So I suppose it's that kind of uh, using. Uh, a, a certain simplicity, but at the same time, um, a complexity of ideas. And, uh, you know, for instance, Rattle, it's two dramas. You don't usually see that, just yeah. two dramas yeah. and singing and nobody else. And it's just kind of that, that, that thing of um, keeping things uh, somehow simple, mm -hmm. I think. It's, it's, it's difficult to explain because it's simple but complex and, at the same time, but it just doesn't sound like overdone. That's, Did you ever that's, get frustrated being labeled as post-punk? 
I don't care. Yeah. Really. Yeah, I think it sounds answer. better than new wave. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I always hated new wave. Lots of people hated punk, uh, word punk. And yeah. post-punk has got a kind of certain... I always think of pill, I suppose, public image. And I think, well, if we're in the box with them, that's, that's fine by me. <laughs> I don't know, you know. Yeah, we, we, sometimes we get tired of getting compared to bands from the past, but usually they're good bands. I mean, we're not getting compared to bad bands, so we'll take good comparisons. <laughs> yeah. You know, Vicky, Vicky said once that, you know, in, in a way, you know, some of what we did was almost prog rock, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it's like I think post-punk was, was not ashamed of where it went in a way, you know. I mean, there was a lot of reggae and sinuous, sinuous bass lines and crazy scratchy guitar and crazy stuff going on uh, and also complicated stuff like Anna said you know complicated simple and so post-punk it's almost an irrelevant label now and I don't know but you know journalists need a label and uh, so it's kind of convenient but I think it's time they thought up a new one don't you yeah that's what they're paid for yeah get, <laughs> get going journalists <laughs> Um, I just you spoke a bit about lyrics. Um, I just wondered if you could say what you were reading at the time, The Raincoats, when you made that first album. I know The Laugh of Medusa was a big influence on you, but, yeah, I wondered what else. Who was an influence? I, th I think we just basically influenced by what was happening in our in our lives and and obviously you you can't detach yourself from everything that that you've read and heard and experienced in in your life and i don't think we were actually influenced by a particular book or by a particular author we we were reading i think but, i think um, i yeah. remember i mean i was reading a lot about art and reading a lot about dada and uh you know, I I wasn't reading novels. I was reading stuff about ways of thinking, I suppose, and and that kind of interested me. And I was interested in the the way people made work. And you know, I, as I've been documented, you know, I was interested in conceptual art, land art, performance art. But Dada and what was happening then seemed to kind of be a kind of cousin or relation of what was happening in punk. And 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 so. Uh, yeah, that's what I remember reading. Are you inspired by anybody to write your lyrics? Uh, Sorry. Like, like you were saying, it's very similar where you just kind of take everything in. Like I don't sit down and read a book and say, like, this is going to be good for lyrics or inspiring. You just kind of, something jumps off the page or you can be watching a terrible TV show or something and a line jumps off from you. It can really come from anywhere. It's just being open to that those influences. Yeah, I always liked uh, when I, I heard about Solex, you know, and she was in the toilet and she started writing down what she heard people saying, you know, in the bathroom. And I just think, you know, I, once I was sitting on a bus recently and there was a kind of weird conversation going on behind me and I started scribbling it down. I've got, I didn't do anything with it, but, you know, it's just, I think lyrics can come from kind of funny places and that's what's nice about them, that there's no... Uh, there's no formula for there's it. There's no formula, no. no. What about you? Have you got a book you're... Uh... <laughs> um, I don't mind lyrics, though. Oh, no. Oh, you're off the hook. Yeah. Hey, that's a good title for a song. <laughs> Thanks. Let's write it right now. I think we're out of time, but um, just like to say a massive thank you to um, Anna and Gina and Pro Tomata. Um, have a round of applause, please.
And thanks everybody for being here. Yeah, thank you. And thank you. Coming. Thanks Otherwise we'll coming. be talking to each other only. <laughs> <laughs> Torture. Yeah. Thank you, Proto-Martyr, and thank you, The Raincoats. Proto-Martyr's fantastic new Consolation EP featuring Kelly Deal of The Breeders is out right now. Make sure you check that out. Speaking of records that are coming out, Anna De Silva of The Raincoats also has a collaboration coming out this fall with the Japanese noise artist Few, which I'm personally very excited about. Cannot wait to hear this. And Gina Birch has been working on a film that I know is near completion called She Punks. So check that out too. And if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you catch Proto Martyrs Joe Casey in conversation with Parquet Court's Andrew Savage from our archives. Another thing you need to check out right now, our special guest Jen Pelly's 33 and a third series book, The Raincoats, available wherever fine 33 and a thirds are served. Jen, since the book dropped late last year, you have been on tour. You've been in London with the raincoats. You reunited Bikini Kill at one of your in- events. Indirectly. Which, which was just fantastic. You do have a few more raincoats events coming up, I think. One in Chicago this summer. Yeah, it's the Monday after Pitchwork Festival, which I believe is July 23rd. And I'll be in conversation with the very inspiring Jessica Hopper um, at a bookstore called Volumes. Very excited for that. And you'll also be heading to Australia soon. Exact date, TBD? Yeah, I'm going to Melbourne to uh, participate in a conference called Changes, and I'll be doing a reading while I'm there, um, TBA, but uh, I'll post about it. I love it. And you also, I'm sorry to twist your arm, but you have a very cool project I want to make sure our listeners know about. You just contributed, as a musician, not as a writer, as a musician, you just contributed to a very cool ACLU benefit comp. Well, I would say maybe um, as an experimenter, I'm not sure if I would call myself a musician of any sort, but yes, it's kind of a performance, noise, spoken word project called Abandon, and Abandon is a collaboration between me and my sister and our friend Stephen Lee Clark, who is a contributor to the Talk House as well. And an amazing musician who's played in Deaf Heaven and Field Field Agent. Agent. Yeah. Yeah. Shouts out, Stephen. Shouts. We have a track on an ACLU benefit compilation from Wharf Cat Records, one of my favorite labels. We've been kind of secretive about it, but it feels appropriate to mention on the talk house where those boundaries between being a journalist and being an artist feel a little more fluid. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, make sure to keep an eye on talkhouse.com's new events tab so that you'll know when and where we're doing more cool stuff like the podcast you just listened to and make sure you subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher to catch next week's episode which was recorded live here in New York City at The Strand it's Natalie Prass in conversation with Matthew E. White and there just may be a live music component today's episode is produced in association with Rough Trade and was recorded by James Spinks and co-produced by Mark Yoshizumi Jen, thanks again for taking some time out of your crazy writing and spoken word existence to join us here on the Talk House. Thank you. Appreciate it. Listeners, we'll catch you next Thursday. Till then.